invite you to pray with me. Let us pray. Lord, as Sapiwa reminded us at the beginning of the service, you are good. And so we praise you and we worship you because you are good. And you are God and you are always loving and always faithful and always right and always just. So we worship you. But Lord, that's not the only reason that we come before you. We come together uh, to hear your word and, and to worship you. But we come because this is a place where, where we sense that we are able to speak more freely to you. Where we sense that, that somehow uh, this is a place where, where maybe you, you're listening. Or maybe it's that we're listening as we pray. But Lord, we come before you and we bring the needs that we have, the, the stuff that we carry that, that sits in our gut like a heavy rock. It just sits there. It's just heavy. It's difficult. We bring those things to you. The burdens we carry for others, for friends, for loved ones, for neighbors, for parents, for children, for siblings, for work colleagues. We come before you and and we bring those needs that we have and others have. And we pray, Lord, that you would, would touch the lives of those who stand before you today. That each of them would know who you are. Who you always are. And that you because of who you are, will touch their lives. We pray for those in whose place we stand, those who may be far away, those who, who may, be, may be struggling so deeply that, that getting to church is, is almost impossible for them. Lord Jesus, may they know. May they know your goodness, your grace, your love. And may we know that you touch them. And we, we pray for Renee that this would be a week of healing and blessing. Keep us safe through the arm. We pray for our church. We we thank you, Lord, that, that as, as the leaders, stewards met yesterday, that we sense that your hand is upon us here at MMC and that you, that, that you have some stuff planned for next year that, that will astound us. So, Lord, help us to get in step with you now already. Pray that you would raise up volunteers, people who, who recognize that they can do that little thing it's not so little, in fact, that becomes a big thing for somebody else. Touch our lives, Lord, draw us close to you and to that thing that we need to be doing. We pray that in our giving and then our finance and resource, that we will see your hand at work as we are faithful. We know you're faithful, even more so. So be with us, not just now, 
Be with us as Supiwe preaches. Be with us as we close our service and have tea. Be with us as we go home. Be with us in this week. For we ask these prayers in and through the name of Jesus. And together God's people said, Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. Thank you, uh, Jim, uh, for the invitation to come and to share the word with uh, the people at Midstream. I just need to give you warning. I have an infection on this eye, so when you see me keeping on touching it, it's not because of anything. It's because it gets very uncomfortable, and somehow I have an edge to just wipe it off. So if you see me touching it, uh, please bear with me. Uh, but it may also mean that I don't really see properly, you know, uh, because these are not make me nice. I wear these things because I need them. Uh, so if I suddenly uh, seem like I'm looking there, but I'm calling Jean there, you will understand what's happening. Friends, we get our scripture reading from the Gospel of Matthew, and we read together from chapter 22. Uh, we will read from verse 15 to verse 22. We read together from the message translation of the Bible, and it reads as follows. That's when the Pharisees plotted a way to trap him into saying something damaging. They sent their disciples with a few of Herod's followers mixed in to ask, Teacher, we know you have integrity. Teach the way of God accurately, are indifferent to popular opinion, and don't pander to your students. So tell us honestly, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus knew they were up to no good. He said, why are you playing these games with me? Why are you trying to trap me? Do you have a coin? Let me see it. They handed him a silver piece. This engraving, who does it look like and whose name is on it? They said, Caesar. Then give Caesar what is his and give God what is his. The Pharisees were speechless. They went off shaking their heads. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God for this word. Amen. And so, friends, for the purposes of this reflection, I have titled this message, Who Do You Belong To? Who Do You Belong To? Or as it appears on the screen, To Whom Do You Belong To? And I want to start by saying, it is knowing whose we are that helps us to have some purpose and meaning in life. Finding our identity in the one who loves us unconditionally, in the one who died on the cross for us, somehow helps to give our lives some form of shape somehow it helps to give purpose and meaning to our lives. 
but it also helps us as we live in this world where there are so many things and so many people who are competing and vying for our allegiance. Knowing who we belong to helps us have some form of clarity in how we want to purpose our lives, but also in how we want to live our lives. Throughout the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has been teaching about a new way of living. He has been teaching about a new way of understanding how God is at work in the world. He called this way of living and this way of God being at work in the world the kingdom of God. Jeez, Jim, you must make sure that your flow is even. Uh, and so Jesus was occupied, particularly in the Gospel of Matthew, but in all the Gospels, with putting across this vision of a new reality that in him, in Christ, God was doing something new. And one of the things that the writer of the Gospel of Matthew says as he introduces Jesus, he says, Jesus is God with us, which immediately then points us to the fact that in Jesus, God is doing something different. God is doing something new. But in the words of Jesus himself, he explains this thing which God is doing as the kingdom of God. That is why when we read the Gospels, often we hear Jesus saying, the kingdom of God is like this. Or we hear Jesus saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so in the Gospels, the words kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God are used interchangeably, but they refer to the same thing. They all point to this new reality, this alternative way of living, this alternative way of being, but also this alternative reality of understanding what God is doing and how God is at work in our lives and in our world. For those who accepted this alternative reality, Jesus says they become citizens of the kingdom of God. And the citizens of the kingdom of God, they partner with God in ushering this new reality in their world, but also in the world so that other people can begin to perceive and to see what God is doing in the world. Now, these things that Jesus speaks about, they reach their climax in what is known as the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus really begins to try to spell it out for those who have made the decision to accept his love for them and to follow him. A clever way of speaking about those is that they are disciples. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins to show what this new reality may look like. And so you will recall it is there where Jesus speaks to people who are used to a world where the blessed ones are those who have the ching cheng. And Jesus speaks to them and he says to them, blessed are the poor. In a world which respected those who had the most sophisticated military 
mechanisms, Jesus speaks and says, Blessed are the peacemaker. If there is more to see what God is doing than just accepting everything as it is. This is important because understanding that part of Jesus' message helps us to then appreciate what is happening in our text this morning. And so then the well-known phrase, render therefore to Caesar that which belongs to Caesar and unto God that which belongs to God, comes as an answer which Jesus gives to a trick question that is posed to him by the Jerusalem's religious leaders. These are people who were desperately looking for a way to counteract this growing movement of those who have seen and caught the vision of what God is doing through Jesus Christ, the vision of the kingdom of God. And so as they see the Jesus movement growing, as they see more and more people beginning to understand and to follow Jesus, as they see that people are no longer satisfied with their lives as they are, as they see that people are no longer satisfied with the world as it is. These are people who are beneficiaries of the status quo. They are beneficiaries of the way things are. And so when Jesus begins to disturb the status quo, they begin to be troubled. And if you and I are honest, we will agree that whenever somebody does anything that tries to disturb our comfort, we get troubled. And so the same is, can be said then of these leaders of the church of the time. And so in order for them to counter what Jesus is saying and doing, they think of a way to actually humiliate him. That is what they are doing in the text. They want to trap him. In other words, they want Jesus to push himself into a corner so that those who have been listening to Jesus can now begin to say, this man does not make sense. And so then they come to him with a very mischievous question. They say to Jesus, is it lawful to pay the taxes to the emperor or not? It's like coming to South Africa and saying to people they must not pay SARS. Thank you. Thank you. Jim says thank you, but he knows what happens when he doesn't pay SARS. <laughs> there are consequences. <laughs> and so they come to Jesus wanting Jesus to commit himself to something. And this is important. Remember, Jesus has been saying things that are contradicting how the world works and how the system works. And now they say to him, is it legal or is it lawful to pay taxes? Now they want Jesus to directly challenge the emperor, to directly challenge Caesar. But here's something else that's happening. There are two groups of religious leaders that are part of this conversation. The one group is known as the Pharisees and the other group 
is known as the Herodians. These two groups of leaders were sworn enemies. They didn't see eye to eye. They had different political uh, and as well as theological ideologies. They didn't believe the same thing. Even in fact, even the way in which they interacted with the Roman authorities was different because they were sworn enemies. And so no one would have expected the Pharisees and the Herodians to come together and to have a common view, particularly when it comes to taxes. Because the one group opposed the Roman Empire and the other one worked actively for the Roman Empire. But it is their dislike of this guy named Jesus that brings them together. You know the saying, an enemy of my enemy becomes my friend. And that is what's happening here. And so the two come together, they bring their best foot forward in that the people who are engaging with Jesus are the best from the two groups. And so they skillfully then craft this question. They skillfully craft this question, but note how skillful they are. They begin their question by offering false praise to Jesus. They say to Jesus, we know that you are a good teacher. We know that you have integrity. In other words, we know that what you say is what you mean. We know that you, you hold very true and very close your beliefs. And so because they have been hearing him preaching about this alternative way of living, they thought to themselves, we have now found him. Because in whatever way in which he will answer this question, he is going to be in trouble. If he says it is not legal, or if, if he says it is not lawful to pay taxes, then those who are supporters of the empire are going to go after him. If he says it is legal to pay taxes, then some of his followers will begin to say to him, but you, you are saying to us, God is doing something new. Why do you still want us to support this system? And so regardless of what Jesus says, they, they thought to themselves, we have found him. We have put him into a corner. And so the term then, which is a Greek term that is translated in this verse, literally means legal or lawful. And it refers to what is permitted or not permitted under the Roman law. Now, here's the thing about taxes. Taxes in that culture were both a source of revenue for the empire, but they were also Rome's mechanism of stamping their authority over those who were their subjects. And so when they say to Jesus, is it legal to pay taxes to Caesar? They actually want Jesus to start a revolution. They want Jesus to incriminate himself so that he becomes the target of the governing system. And so then Jesus does what Jesus often does. And in case you're not sure what is it that Jesus often does, whenever people ask Jesus questions, instead of giving them straightforward and simple answers, he often poses a question. 
And so he says to them, do you have a coin? He produced the coin and he says to them, whose face is on that coil? And I say, it's Caesar. And Jesus says, then it's simple. Give to Caesar that, that which belongs to Caesar. And give to God that which belongs to God. Give Caesar that which belongs to Caesar. And give God that which belongs to God. There's something there. You see, Jesus knows that Caesar only has control over that which has got his face on. And everything else belongs to God. And so Jesus responds to them. He says to them, give to Caesar that which belongs to Caesar. For Jesus understands that everything else belongs to God. Here's the thing. Caesar had an inscription on the coin. Depending on who you read, some people will say the coin had his face and then it also had an inscription. And so Caesar's kingdom has a symbol, which is the coin. But God's kingdom has a different symbol. You see, Caesar's economy trades on the currency, which is the coin that has got Caesar's face on it. But God's kingdom trades on a different currency. And so when Jesus says to us and to his crowd, give to Caesar that which belongs to Caesar, and give to God that which belongs to God. Jesus seems to understand that the whole nature, as well as the trajectory of God's kingdom, is fundamentally different, but also fundamentally at odds with Caesar's one. Paying to God and participating in the kingdom of God means that those who want to participate in the kingdom of God need to repent of the ways in which they have been complicit in Caesar's currency. We need to repent of the ways in which we have been complicit in Caesar's currency. It's a paradigm shift. The first thing that Jesus maybe invites you and I to do is to continue to participate in Caesar's economy simply because we don't have a choice. You don't have a choice. Jim, whether you want to pay SARS or not, you don't have a choice. But 
what we can do. We can have a different way of participating in Caesar's economy. We can have a different way of interacting with Caesar. We can allow the vision of the kingdom of God to be the template that we use to engage with the kingdom of Caesar. We can allow the values of the kingdom of God to be the same values that we bring as we interact with the kingdom of Caesar. And so the currency, let me talk about the currency of interacting in the kingdom of God. You see, Caesar's symbol is the face that Caesar has put on the coin. And that becomes the symbol as well as the currency. May I invite you to stand? May I invite you to stand? And just maybe look at the person next to you. Whose inscription do you see in there? Whose inscription do you see in there? You see in Caesar's economy and in Kanyako's economy. I see Nelson Mandela, a political head, a political figure. But when I look at you, the inscription that I see is that which is from Genesis 1.26. The image of God. You may be seated. And so that's the currency. That's the currency that trades. It is a currency that reminds us to answer the question, to whom do we belong? Whenever we look at each other, whenever I look at the mirror, I must be reminded that I belong to God. The inscription that I should see as I wake up in the morning, it is an inscription that reminds me that I am made and created in the image and likeness of God. The image and likeness of God carries with it something that is so intangible and yet so real. It says to me, I am God's beloved. I am God's beloved. And so I can wake up and go to participate in Caesar's economy. But I should never forget to whom do I belong to. If I don't forget to whom do I belong to, as people participate in Caesar's economy, now we are South Africans, we have examples, you know, state capture. You know, state capture. Examples of how 
And I'm, I, I will say this because I'm a Methodist minister who knew some of the Methodist people there. State capture is an example of what happens when those who have the inscription of the image of God forget whose they are. And they go and participate in Caesar's economy as if they don't have the image of God living within them. And so when they get into Caesar's economy and somebody promises them a black envelope or a black plastic bag in order for them to do something that is immoral and unethical. Because they are driven by the inscription of Caesar. Because all they want is to get more of Caesar in their lives. They find themselves doing things that are contrary to the will of God. But those who know whose they are, they know that Caesar has no hold of them. They know that sometime, one day, at the end of life, it is only God who will stand before them and ask them to account for how they have lived their lives. I want to end by suggesting that there are three consequences of belonging or of knowing that we belong to God. The first one is that if we know that we belong to God, it means that we also believe in this truth, which is sometimes hard for us to know when we go through difficult times that God will not forsake us. God never forsakes his own. God never leaves his own. You see, the Pharisees and the Herodians and all the religious leaders of the time were very notorious at caring for the people that God had given to their care. And again, because we live in South Africa, we have other examples when we look at how our government is treating the poorest of the poor, you can, there, there can never be a doubt that they have forsaken the poor. But belonging to God means we understand that God never forsakes his own. This is a truth that keeps us going in our own lives. When we go through difficult times, as Jim was saying, the finances of the church are not looking good. And even as we talk about those finances, we're not talking from a place of despair. We're talking from a place of hope. For we know that God never forsakes his own. But it is a truth that we can carry with us into the world. When we see those that Caesar has forsaken, because we believe in the kingdom of God, because we are active participants. We are those who want to be ushering the kingdom of God. When we see others whom Caesar has forsaken, we try to find ways to come alongside them. And so we do a food packship so that we can come alongside those whom Caesar has forsaken. And as we bring them the food packs, it is not to show them that we have more than what we need. 
It is to show them our commitment in the belief of God's kingdom. But it is also to show them and remind them that their God loves them and their God will never forsake them. Because God never forsakes his own. Secondly, it means that we belong to God and because we belong to God, we belong to the people of God, which is the body of Christ. Whenever I read the Gospels, I find it intriguing that one of the primary things that Jesus sought to do was to build an alternative community. Everything that Jesus does, everything that we call discipleship, is about Jesus forming an alternative community. People who are like-minded, people who share the same values, and people who are committed to show the world an alternative way of living. That is why it never makes sense to me when the church wants to be relevant, when the church wants to do everything that the world does. We are called to be different. We are called as this community, we are called to be different and to be radically different, not just different, but radically different. Hence, I always go back to the Beatitudes because the Beatitudes paint a portrait of what this alternative kingdom looks like. And then thirdly, it means that we give to God that which belongs to God. we give to God that which belongs to God. And what belongs to God? It is ourselves. It is ourselves. We give of ourselves. That's why even as we interact with Caesar, and all the rules that Caesar has put in place. If we are committed to giving ourselves to God, we understand that we can also give ourselves to God within the systems that Caesar has created. We can give ourselves to God. We can invest our lives and make our lives to be lives of worship. One thing I like about Methodist spirituality is that it is an integrated spirituality. It's a spirituality that says to us, God does not only care about what I do in this one hour when I come to church, but God cares about everything that is a part of my life, everything. And that is why I want to end with Romans chapter 12, if you can have it on the screen. If maybe you're still not sure what, it, what does it mean to give of yourself, allow me to use the words of Paul and try to sum it for you. Romans 12 verse 1. So here's what I want you to do. 
God helping you. This is important. Not in your own, not on your own strength. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-informed maturity in you. And speaking to you out of, a deep, out of a deep gratitude for all that God has given me, and especially as I have responsibilities in relation to you, let us pray. And so, God, we thank you that your word is life, that your word speaks, that your word comforts, but also that sometimes your word disturbs and afflicts. And so, Lord, as we listen to this message, as we think about what it means to be your followers in the world, as we think about ways to meaningfully express our commitment to following you, our commitment to espousing the kingdom values, we know that it is often a very difficult journey, that it is a journey that requires of us to pause from time to time to think about what we do and the decisions we make. And so, Lord, this morning I just want to pray, Lord, that in the coming week you would enable each and every one of us to find ways in our own lives, no matter how big or small those ways may be, find ways to give to you that which belongs to you, which is ourselves, to find ways not to keep anything to ourselves, but to find ways to always give back to you that which belongs to you. We ask, Lord, that as we receive this message, that it may find place in our hearts, and we pray for this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.